Please pray with me. Holy God, you have spoken to your ancestors through the words of the prophets and the laws, and you have spoken to us in your presence in Jesus. Silence in us any voice but yours, that your Holy Spirit may stir through us and startle us with your truth. May we listen and respond with faithful lives. Amen. Last week, we began our Bread from Heaven sermon series with the Israelites wandering in the desert, wondering how they would be fed, and miraculously, manna, bread from heaven, arose, and that's how they were able to turn their attention daily to God's care and learn to trust in God no matter where God might lead them. Today's story about bread draws us further into a relationship with God and with one another. The scripture we hear today is not recorded history in the traditional sense of history, describing the time of the reign of King David and his son, or pardon me, describing the time after the reign of King David and his son Solomon. The book First Kings is rather an extended theological essay of passionately held beliefs. It was composed during the time of exile when the writers were convinced that the Israeli kings brought down their collective downfall by worshiping false gods and promoting self-serving policies that enriched the king at the expense of the people. At this point in history, King Ahab is in power and Elijah prophesies a drought will occur to punish the kingdom for Ahab's devotion to the pagan god Baal. As with last week's reading, I will rely upon a new translation of the Hebrew scriptures by Robert Alter. And again, in this very authentic translation, you will hear a litany of the word and, which is faithful to the original Hebrew. It's and, and. The story writer is throwing us forward into God's story. So listen for God's word as I read from 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I have served, there shall be no rain or dew except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go from here and turn you eastward and hide in the wadi of Cherith, which goes into the Jordan. And it shall be that from the wadi you shall drink, and the ravens I have charged to sustain you there. And Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord, and the ravens would bring him bread in the morning, and bread in the evening, and from the wadi he would drink. And it happened after a time that the wadi dried up, for there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Rise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have charged a widow woman there to sustain you. And he rose and went to Zarephath, and came to the entrance of the town, and look, a widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, pray, a bit of water in a vessel that I may drink. And she went to fetch, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, pray, a crust of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no loaf, but only a handful of flour and a jar and a bit of oil and a cruse. And I'm about to gather a couple of sticks, and I shall make for me and my son, and we shall eat it, and we shall die. And Elijah said to her, Fear not, come do as you have spoken, only first make for me a little loaf and bring it out to me to eat. 
and for you and your son make it afterwards. For thus the Lord God of Israel has said, the jar of flour will not go empty, nor will the cruse of oil be drained until the day of the Lord sends rain over the land. And she went and did according to Elijah's word, and she ate, and she and he and her household for many days. And the jar of flour did not go empty, nor was the cruse of oil drained according to the word of the Lord. Here ends our reading. One of the very first games that actors will learn in an improvisational theater setting is called Yes And. It's a simple, non-threatening interaction that builds skills to work together. Here's a sample dialogue. Today is a cloudless day. The second character would respond, yes, and I have the afternoon open, let's go to the beach. And then I again as the first character would say, yes, and I'll bring the sunscreen. And the next character says, great idea. Let's ask Katie to join us. This exercise demands listening and staying in the flow by saying yes to the other person, either overtly or by what you put in next, as a way of implying I'm with you, followed by and, and moving the action forward. You see, these two actors are working completely without a script and they're creating something out of nothing by being together. The only time it really fails is when someone stops the action with no, or but, or rather, or however, or although, or instead of, or some way to say no, we're, we're stopping here. But more often, the story falls apart when someone no longer listens to the other person or thinks he or she can control the story because you don't control the story, you're creating it together. Yes and demands listening, it demands focus, and most of all, it demands trust. In improv comedy, the fun begins when the characters are thrown off by a sudden turn in the action, still moving forward, or the inclusion of a completely unexpected non sequitur, and it oftentimes leads to hilarity. But improvisation is not always comedic, since the skills can be applied throughout life, because we know our lives are unscripted. We don't know what's going to happen in worship. We don't even know what's going to happen after worship. Now, the Reverend Dr. Sam Wells, who's a distinguished theologian and currently serves as vicar of St. Martin in the fields in London, he sees very consistent parallels between the disciplines of improv and the ability to lead a faithful Christian life. Working without a script and saying yes and is to be a part of God's plan and to move into the future without fear. But for many though, it appears as saying yes and implies way too much risk. You don't know where you're going with the other person, whether imagined on stage or in real life. And I agree, it's risky to say yes and. In our Christian life though, we have this wonderful safety net in our lives. A life of faith relies upon solid grounding in Christian ethics by practicing our faith over and over again so it becomes embedded in our very being and it's just who we are. 
This is why we teach our children the 10 best ways at Kenilworth Union, more commonly known as the Ten Commandments. And as adults, we continue to rehearse the obtuse parables with modern interpretations to discern how to live a good life together. And each year we are consistently remembering in song and word and liturgy the incarnation of God into our human life and praise God for the grace of forgiveness in Easter's resurrection. We can say yes and with confidence when we are devoted to God above all else, have learned the ways of discipleship as Jesus teaches, and we've experienced in the church the long arc of faith and love and grace. You see, ethics isn't about being clever in a crisis, but forming such character that when a crisis occurs or a decision demands an action, or when it, something needs to be decided, we know the differences between right and wrong, however subtle they may be, because we've become in the habit of trusting God to help guide our decisions. And improvisation is also not about being witty in the moment, but about trusting ourselves to do and say the obvious, because we're listening. Improv is concerned with discernment. It's about hearing God speak through practice listening. And it's learning to say yes to the newness of life's unfolding in so many unknown ways, and saying and so we keep engaged with God. We need to be willing to improvise, and we need to be reflexive disciples. Now, prophet, the prophet Elijah, whose name literally means, the Lord is with me, was the essence of his message. Elijah became a prophetic legend. In the Jewish tradition, he is revered and welcomed at each and every Passover Seder in the way of a cup being poured for him, the door being opened, and a welcome offered. In the Christian tradition, the gospel writers modeled miraculous stories of wilderness survival after him. When we hear of the feeding of the 5,000, it absolutely echoes the story we heard today. Jesus' early followers could only comprehend a Messiah based upon their knowledge of Elijah's divine power and intimacy with God. And it was Elijah himself who prophesied the arrival of a Messiah. Over the years, Elijah learned to live in God's covenant. He had heard the stories and followed the commands to love God and neighbor. He could not imagine life in any other way than being attentive to God's word and always responding in faith. This way of life gave him the courage to speak against the corrupt King Ahab. And unfortunately, King Ahab is just one of many in a long line of kings who do not care about the people in that king's charge. This way of life also allowed Elijah to be vulnerable and to risk doing what God asked, even when it demanded leaving what was known and secure. Elijah knew that God is always faithful. You see, courage and vulnerability are two sides of the same coin that's forged in years of devotion. When God commands him to leave Israel, Elijah says, yes, by going. Entering the wilderness, God ensures ravens feed him morning and evening. The constancy of the care each and every day, morning and evening, echoes the story of God's creation and of God's care for the Israelites when they were fleeing from Egypt. 
Elijah knew these stories by heart. He'd always heard them. He'd probably taught and told them. When the prophesied drought becomes a reality, drying the waters of the wadi, God tells him to go to Zarephath. And this is where the prophecy, and this is where the journey becomes really life-threatening. Zarephath is nestled in a pagan country that worships Baal. Telling Elijah to trust a poor widow, a poor widow who has nothing, telling him to go trust a poor widow in hostile country is like telling an Orthodox Jew to satisfy his hunger in a poor Islamic refugee settlement. It would be like telling someone wearing a MAGA hat to expect a warm welcome in a neighborhood filled with yard signs that say Black Lives Matter, or expecting an NRA supporter to seek shelter in a home promoting Mother's Demand Action. In this liminal place, Elijah meets a widow who, although not an Israelite, she had heard God, and she too is obedient. If Elijah took a chance, the widow's risk was even greater by trusting a God she had not worshipped. She trusted that God to give her last morsel of flour to a stranger before she fed her own son. Now bread again is the focal point of God's miracle. And the miracle is more than just starvation-sized rations becoming sufficient for a prolonged drought. The miracle is two people who should have been enemies trust God and they trust one another to eat together, to share their lives, and to find a way forward when before there was nothing either of them could individually see except certain death. Now we've heard your stories of bread at the communion table and of a strawberry sandwich, instances of viscerally experiencing the gift of connecting with another human being through simple bread, Bread is part of ordinary life, and ordinary life blossoms when we become willing participants. In recent times, Israel's Presidential Medal of Distinction has been awarded to such luminaries as former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, the legendary conductor Zubin Mehta, and Judith Field Carr, a Canadian Jewish musician and human rights activists who helped smuggle thousands of Jews out of Syria. The award quite simply honors a person's contributions to humanity. In 2012, Nadav Ben Yehuda was 24 at the time that he learned that he would stand in the line of such distinguished luminaries and receive this award. The prior year, when he was just a thousand feet short of the top of the world, Ben Yehuda noticed a 64-year-old Turkish man, Aden Ikmar, lying in the snow with no gloves, no oxygen, no shelter as other climbers passed on their way to the summit of Mount Everest. To reach the 29,000-foot top-of-the-world goal it takes you through what's known as the death zone, where oxygen is insufficient to sustain human life, and life for any period of time becomes vulnerable with acute mountain sickness and hypothermia. Just this year in 2019, the traffic jams of people lining to reach the summit resulted in the deaths of 11 people because no one stopped to care. Seeing the desperate man, Ben Yehuda relinquished his dream to become the youngest Israeli to reach the summit and instead became Ikmar's rescuer.
Nine hours later, they were both safely at base camp, and Ben Yehuda had risked losing his fingers because he'd removed his gloves to get a better grip on this man. Scaling Mount Everest requires exhaustive training and significant financial commitments. This is something Ben Yehuda had trained for and had saved for, but yet he valued human life more than his personal gain. In our world of tribes, in aversion to foreigners and suspicious of adversaries, one would not expect an Israeli to care about the welfare of a Turk. And when asked why he gave up this precious dream, Ben Yehuda answered quite simply, because we'd shared a meal together. We know that listening to others, noticing what is needed, and trusting in our common humanity and doing what is right will bring about life. So as you go from this place this week, think about the opportunities you have to break bread with someone you don't know. Now we all know that there are times in some of us that would much rather say no. Maybe someone says no, not all the time, but in the context of looking into the future to resolve a problem, saying no seems really safe. But saying no retreats, saying no privileges the status quo, and those who prefer to say no tend to perceive saying yes as impossible, improper, or dangerous. And those people who prefer to say yes, yes when presented with something new, are rewarded with adventures as life unfolds with strangers becoming acquaintances or even friends. Saying yes is born of a devotion to God and a devotion to God's gift of life. We are at a time in which we are at a time in our lives in which prophecies of drought and climate change are credibly supported with facts, and yet the King Ahabs and all of his wannabes are ignoring the welfare of nations to say no. Their devotion is not to the future, nor to the welfare of people. We are also living in dangerous times as lives are cut short in senseless gun violence. Rather than prioritize life, too many King Ahabs claim any action to reduce gun violence is either not in their personal best interest or it's just not possible. These no's are becoming fatal to people just like you and me. We stand in a grand story with each other that's authored by God. We can say yes and and live a life of faith that loves God above all else and asks us to love our neighbors. It's up to us to choose life. To do so requires recognizing this story does not belong to us. This is God's story. And our history affirms God's sovereignty and that the story will keep going whether we choose to participate or not. For we know that in God's story, if I stumble and fall, and if I say no, I can still get back in the game, and I can still learn to say yes. Because we never have the last word. It's always God saying yes, and it's always God saying and, and it's always God ending the story with grace, and grace, and grace abounds. Please pray with me.
God, for all that has been, all we say is thank you. And God, for all that will ever be, may we all say yes. May it be so. Amen.